Before I get started, I need to do a couple quick shout outs. We've had two individuals who are part of our staff here in the church and lead teams of some of our staff. And these two individuals have worked tirelessly for weeks to get us ready for Holy Week. Would you give a loud and an extremely loud clap for Darren Payne and Mark Edmondson? Darren does all our facilities and construction and gets late night texts to build things on all hours of night. Marcus puts all this production together and we're just so appreciative of them. Darren and Mark, we just hope you feel the love from all of us this morning. Welcome to church. Oh my gosh, like, like, like someone had to drag you here this morning. <laughs> my name is Matt, short for Matthew. If you didn't know the definition or the meaning of the name Matthew is God's gift. And I remind my wife of that every morning. I'm like, you don't got to call me Matt. Just God's gift to you in the world. Don't you see? It doesn't, never works. Never goes well that way. And like all of you, I have a middle name as well. And that's Thomas. And Thomas is interesting because Thomas is a very brief story that kind of fits alongside the resurrection that we don't talk much about when it comes to Resurrection Sunday. Because Thomas is known as Doubting Thomas. But if you know anything about me and the way my mind works, that's who I am. In many ways, I'm skeptical in nature. Things have to make sense. If it doesn't make sense, you're going to have a hard time getting me on board. Because I got to see the logic of what you're telling me about. The, 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 the line of reason, the, the rationale. And so it's interesting that my parents named me. Thomas, because that's kind of how my mind works. And I think for a lot of us, we're living in a cultural moment where we're doubting everything. We're skeptical of all the things people tell us. We're questioning any information that comes from any source around us. But this morning, we're celebrating information we don't need to question. And my hope is as you sit here this morning, I might inspire you and encourage you in the rationale and the relevance of Jesus's resurrection to your life. The story of Thomas is in the gospel of John, chapter 20, and it'll be on the screen behind me. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. The story is unfolding after the resurrection. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. A little gory, bro. Like you could have just, just seeing it might have been good enough. Maybe the hands, but why the side? Verse 26. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as, suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Now, if you've been around our church the last number of years, one thing you'll know about me is I'm all about seeing Jesus and angels, but I want it to happen during the daytime. I'm, 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 nighttime stuff, like I'd rather just not have it. I'm not the guy there at night going, Lord, let me see angels. No, thank you. Daytime, sunlight, outside, people around, then I'll see that stuff. But any other time, it's gonna freak me out. 
And, and I think it's, it's true of these guys too. It's, it's a daytime and he shows up. And what does Jesus have to say? Peace be with you. Settle down, homies. I know you're freaking out right now, but it is me. Jesus shows up in the room. Now, Thomas is there. This time, he's actually there. Not sure why he wasn't there the first time. Maybe someone had to run out and do an errand. He missed it, but he is there. And we know Thomas is not named Doubting Thomas by anyone in Scripture. It's something we've called him. But if we're really to look at Thomas, I think a better name would be like Honest Thomas. Because Thomas is wanting to be honest about what's actually happened. Thomas is wanting to be authentic about what happened. I don't feel a spirit from Thomas like talking down to or or nitpicking. I think in his mind, he's like, let's just be straight up. If the bro resurrected and he's actually God, I think he would literally let me put my fingers in the holes in his hands or hand in his side. In many ways, Thomas is the only one honest enough of the disciples, maybe, to confess what everyone else might be thinking. And guess what? As we're going to see, Jesus is not scared by his honesty. Jesus is not deterred by the questions he's asking. Jesus is not frightened by any form of skepticism. And that's different of us. That's different than you and I. As a father, I've tried to work tirelessly with my kids for them to know that they should be honest and authentic, but you gotta consider your surroundings. Your surroundings have to be appropriate. Now, I learned that because as a dad, having a couple kids out of dinner with some other friends, and everyone's on dinner on a table talking about stuff, and the kids aren't at the kids' table, the kids are kind of sitting amidst the adults, and The adults are kind of having adult conversations a little bit, you know, and all the code language we use. The kids don't know exactly what's happening. And then oftentimes we start telling stories and maybe a bathroom story comes up. And as the bathroom story comes up and I can see my son across the table get a twinkle in his eye (laughs) about the bathroom story he would like to share. (laughs) And he's thinking, I need to be honest. My authentic self is telling me that I should speak out this story. And I know the story he's thinking about. It involves me. And I can see a twinkle in his eyes. He's about to get up and say, I have it. And as I'm running over the table, gently smacking him across his face with my hand, not abusively at all, just gently, like with the love of Christ and no CPS members, and just, just casually like, hey, bro, keep it quiet. Because I don't want him to be honest, because what might that reveal about me? How might his honesty and vulnerability tell family story that doesn't need to be a public story at this moment. (laughs) Jesus isn't wired that way. Jesus isn't concerned with that. Anything you come with, any question you might have, any doubt, any skepticism, he says, great, you're in the place of learning. Thomas shows us that Jesus involves it and wants those questions to come forward. And each and every Easter, as the message is kind of already set of what I have to say when I get up here, It's always a chance for me to reflect on, Matt, do you really believe it? Like, not just because you sang it in a song, not just because it's kind of your job right now and this is how you provide for your kids. Do you really believe in the resurrection? And it always backs me up and and makes you kind of go through a, a line of logic and rationale. 
Because one thing is sure, Jesus, when he walked on earth, said many controversial things, but nothing more controversial than this. When he said, I am actually God. That was controversial. Everything else, we got it. We can take it. It's palpable. But I'm God. You can like deal with our sins. Oh, hold on a second here. And it would almost seem like he's crazy, except for the fact that he did did miracles. He, He literally did miracles. He literally brought sight to the blind, gave people with lame legs the ability to walk, touched people with leprosy and wasn't infected himself and actually healed them. Like he actually did miracles. But, but the greatest miracle of all, when you really think about it, was that he convinced his closest family members that he was actually God as well. I mean, think about your family members that show up and try to tell you all these great new things about themselves. And you go, yeah, I, I don't believe it, bro. I mean, every time that I try to tell my kids I'm the strongest man in the world, it's always tested. I mean, I don't really tell. Well, anyway, sometimes, anyways, it's always tested by the whining I do carrying the groceries from Costco out of the car. You know, when they put everything in the box, like the heaviest stuff in the box. And sure enough, if anyone was to approach my kid and go, hey, your dad said he's the strongest man in the world. He'd say, do you have YouTube? You'll know pretty quickly my dad is not the strongest man in the world. Not just by the whining he did when my mom asked him to get something out of the garage, but I just know because I'm closest to him. Probably the greatest miracle of all is Jesus was actually able to convince those closest to him that not just by the miracles, but that he was actually, in fact, God. And we see that because James, who was his brother, skeptical when Christ was walking around, became someone who actually gave his life to the cause of his brother. James, all of a sudden, realized This man is not just the man, he is in fact God, and we saw him rise again. That's probably the greatest feat of all. The fact that he actually said he was God, did miracles, his family began to believe, and the moment that he got placed behind the stone, three days later, the grave was opened, and he walked out from it. He was actually resurrected. Now, don't take my word for that. Take the people's lives who are changed words for that. Because what we see after Jesus' resurrection is people getting a hold of the story, knowing the story was real, seeing that Jesus was God, backed it up with his life, then beat death and came back to life as resurrected Christ, was so touched by that story, they went at great lengths to share that story with others. Not not just great lengths, like a good strategy put together, we're gonna tell everyone about this and raise some money, and if all the money's there, we'll do it. No, they went to such great lengths to share the story of the resurrected Christ, they were willing to die than deny that it actually happened. I don't know about you, but while I know Toyota trucks might last forever, I'm not gonna die for that truth. They were so convinced because of what they'd seen, heard, touched, felt, and in turn experienced. They were willing to walk from that area and preach the message that Jesus had, even unto death. That's one way to tell if something is true, is if someone's really willing to give their life for it. And not just one person, lots of people. But here's the issue. If Jesus is God, was resurrected, and is who he said he was, that means we have to take his word seriously. 
That means that the way he says you're meant to be human, the way he says you're meant to live, the, his desire for meaning and purpose, that means everything he said is true. And that's the hang up, isn't it? That's where we try to like back off the Jesus God thing. Well, no, actually, I, mean, I think he was just a legend. Oh, oh really? Like, like a legend? Like, what do you mean? Like, like you know, it's just like a story. People altered the story. Well, here's the fascinating thing. When anyone writes legends about an individual, they usually do it several generations removed. Do you know why? Because they're going to make a legend out of this person. And you can't write a work about someone who is living because that person might critique it. Or the people around him, like his family members, might say, that's not actually this person. So legends are typically written generations removed from that person living. Do you realize the Gospels are dated within the same generation of when Jesus actually existed? Do you realize that the New Testament has probably one of the most historically and literary accurate pictures of history of the ancient world at that time? They weren't writing about a legend. They were writing historical story recording the truth of this God-man. Oh, Matt, that's, okay, fine, that's kind of dramatic. You're being kind of dramatic. Your eyes are getting kind of big. You're getting kind of excited. Like, just calm down for a second. <laughs> he was, at the very least, he was a good moral teacher. Really? He claimed to be God. If he wasn't God, you know what the alternative is? He was psychotic. I mean, really, you have to be honest with yourself. You can't just say, well, he's just, he's just a, a clever guy that made a lot of wise sayings. Yeah, other than the fact that over many times he said he was actually God, that was crazy talk. That wasn't wisdom. He can't be a legend. He can't just be a moral teacher. He can't be just some prophet that landed. The only proper label for Jesus is that he was God. And obviously Thomas was stirred by that because even though he wasn't there to witness the resurrected Christ, he still hung around for eight more days. He still spent time with the disciples for eight more days. He still was committed to whatever they were committed to, even though he wasn't sure exactly who Christ was, did it actually happen? He didn't actually see it. He still hung around for eight more days. He didn't bail, he didn't leave. Something was still rational about the idea of who Jesus was. But Jesus wasn't concerned with only being rational for Thomas. He wanted to be relevant to Thomas. He wanted to step into Thomas's story as well. Verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. I'm so glad that Jesus doesn't do things like I would do them. Because I would have showed up in that room, grabbed Thomas by his ear, and be like, what's up, fool? <laughs> we rolled for 24-7 for three years. You saw miracles, healings, and now you, got, you, now you want to stick your fingers in the holes of my hand? Like, like, isn't it good enough what I've done for you already? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it make sense if Jesus would have said, hey, where's that skeptical, doubter, freaky guy? Bring him over here real quick. Jesus didn't label him. Jesus said, I know what you want. Come right here. I'll, I'm going I'm to show you again, because that's what Jesus does. It's not we do, but that's why we're human and not God. And that's what God does. He steps in in patience and says, come with your skeptical questions. Come with the desire for honesty. Come and touch my hands. Put your hand in my wound because I want you to believe 
and know that I am the resurrected one resurrected for you. So Thomas has to call him something, right? Because, because the way we understand things is by labeling them, right? We label everything around us, you know, good, bad, label names. We have, we have judgments. We, we, we label people with. And oftentimes our labels are the very thing that limits people. For some of you, you've carried labels on your life, you know, bad at math, you know, not a good cook, I'm not judging anyone because I'm in that category, you know. But those labels end up limiting what you do because you think you just need to fall into the label. But humans need to label stuff. So, so Thomas is looking at Jesus and he goes, I, got, I have to label this. And, and what's interesting is because at this point, you would think Thomas would say, oh, my rabbi, I was wrong. Or, oh, my teacher, I missed it. Or, oh, my healer, I, I didn't see what you're doing. No, the only label appropriate that Thomas could come up with with seeing the resurrected Christ was this, my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. It was the only label appropriate for Jesus. It wasn't my homie that's been rolling around together for three years. It wasn't the guy that was so clever, the things he said. It wasn't, thank you for being the person to support me emotionally. The only logical, reasonable response to the risen Christ was my Lord and my God. Probably one of the most powerful confessions of faith in all the Bible, and it's coming from the one who had the most questions. My Lord and my God. Now, this so touched Thomas's life, and we know that because of history. If you were to Google history of southern India, you would notice that in the area of southern India on the coast, there is a church to a gentleman by the name of St. Thomas. And believe it or not, Thomas traveled the furthest from Jerusalem to share the love of Jesus with people. If you were to calculate in miles, Thomas traveled up to 4,000 miles. I'm sorry, more than 4,000 miles. And we know the last place that we see him show up in history is he shows up on the shores of southern India. Thomas, the guy we all call Doubting Thomas. I think we might need to change the label. Thomas, the one who had honest questions, understood that ultimately Jesus was his God and his savior, then goes, I gotta tell people about this. 4,000 miles. You know, Peter was when we celebrate because you know, he's the one that God built his church on. He didn't go that far. Or how about the apostle John, the one that Jesus called my, my, my beloved. He didn't go that far. Thomas, the one that we have this little story, we've labeled him as a doubter, probably need to change that. Because Thomas so experienced the resurrected Christ that it drove him almost over 4,000 miles away, giving him the opportunity to share the love of Jesus with as many people as possible. And it only stopped because of this. He created so much havoc in southern India, the priests got so angry, they went to him and asked him if he would stop. He would not stop. And so you know what they did? They killed him on that same beach. The guy asking all the questions experiences God in such a radical and relevant way that when faced with opposition, where they were just asking him, saying, hey, bro, the fact checker said what you said isn't really legit. 
would you mind stop talking? And just for the love of everybody, would you just step aside and don't say anything anymore? Like, hey, bro, you're, you're, you're kind of bad for the Hindu temple's giving. What we'd like you to do is to just kind of tighten it up a little bit and walk away. No. He said, I have experienced the resurrected Christ in such a real way. I cannot say it didn't happen. I cannot say he wasn't the son of God. And they said, okay, well, the only solution is we're gonna kill you. And he was martyred on that beach more than 4,000 miles away from his home in Israel. And we are still today experiencing that resurrected Jesus. Because after that generation, the message continued on. The next generation got a hold of the message. They began to experience the resurrected Christ in their own way. They began to spread the word. It traveled all over the known ancient world to different continents and different countries. The message got translated into different languages. People began to write down stories and translate those works as the story of Jesus began to travel around the world. And to today, you'll be hard-pressed to find someone even in the most remote corner of the world that hasn't at least heard the name Jesus. And after all, isn't that why we're all in this room? We're all here because we've all experienced the resurrected power of Christ in our lives. He has healed our broken marriages. He has healed our broken relationships. He has healed our broken relationship to ourselves. He's shattered the labels that people have put over us so that we've found limitless meaning now in the purpose and following of his son. He's given us the ability to defeat anxiety, break depression, move out from oppression, and even see the chains of addiction broken around us. We're seeing him touch our lives in such a staggering way. We're willing to get up early on a Sunday morning and sing and shout praises to him because we've learned that he is the resurrected king in our life. Can I get an amen? amen? Jesus is the resurrected king. And I can't think of anyone else that you should listen to to help you know how to be human. My invitation to you this morning, church, is to realize there is no rational, no more relevant person to put your faith in than that of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, you're, you're touching and have touched all of our lives. Lord, we don't want to make you just a good teacher on the side, a good story that we tell only at Easter and Christmas. Father, I ask that all of us would say, you know what? I'm going to take him at his word, and I'm going to do his way of life. I'm going to choose to follow his way to be human. I'm going to choose that Jesus knows the better way to be human. After all, he was there at the beginning of this whole human project. Jesus, I'm going to choose to live my life off of your words, not off the words of others. Jesus, I'm going to choose to live my life off of your teaching, not off the teaching of others. Jesus, I'm going to look at you and say, you're the better way to be human. We thank you, Jesus, that you went into the ground. You took our sin and our shame. You took every label we've put on ourselves and even the labels we put on you. You took them into the ground defeated their power over our lives, walked out from behind the stone and said, come join me in the resurrected life. We thank you, Jesus, that that, that is our living hope. And we praise your name this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.